MJF takes on Orange Cassidy, Kenny Omega returns, and Sting speaks in this week's review of AEW Dynamite. So before I get into the review, I guess I should acknowledge that I haven't reviewed anything since last Monday's Raw. And I'm sorry, I'm just very burnt out. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to be the asshole. Because, I'll be honest, did not enjoy Winter is Coming. I thought it had some very good matches, but also some stuff that I did not necessarily enjoy. And then War Games, half of it was phenomenal, half of it made me so mad and I didn't want to like because I know people enjoy these matches so I didn't want to be the one asshole coming on and being like you're wrong for thinking Sting is cool how dare you so I kind of took a break um and I think I was just burnt out so I just took a few days to center myself not worry about watching Raw not worry about watching anything, just enjoy wrestling for what it was. And I will be honest, I, f- I feel better. And in fact, this episode of Dynamite really fixed at least one problem I had with Winter is Coming. But before we get into that, why don't we get into the opening bout? It's TH2 versus the Young Bucks. If the Hybrid 2 manage to get the victory, they will become number one contenders to the Bucks tag titles. And I love that stipulation because in WWE... That's kind of the writing on the wall. Giving a stipulation like that is basically saying the hybrid two is going to win. But this is AEW. This is different. Uh, Before the match starts, the Bucks are interviewed by Alex Marvez, who's basically like, what the fuck's happening with Kenny? And they're like, I don't know. And then the match starts, and it's just good flippy shit. I don't know what you expected, but it's good flippy shit. Uh, It was really great because you got to see the hybrid two really bring a lot of fire and a lot of intensity trying to get this victory so they can uh, eventually get this title shot. And I'll I'll be honest, I really enjoyed the fact that the, the hybrid two lost, which I know sounds rough, but I love the fact that they lost because, like I said, in WWE, this kind of match stipulation basically says hey, the hybrid two is going to win. But now, it added extra stakes to the match, and also the fact that they lost says, in the future, they could keep having matches like this. They could keep having these kind of stipulation matches, and you truly don't know if the team's going to win or if the team's going to lose. I liked it a lot. It was really great. The Bucks got involved with the Acclaimed, and that's all I fucking need. That's all I fucking need is the Bucks versus the Acclaimed. Uh, SCU comes out to set up next week's match of SCU versus the Acclaimed. And yeah, this was a fun... If there's one thing AEW knows how to do correctly, it's have a fun-ass opener. And that's what this was. This was a fun fucking opener to watch. There were some moments of intensity, like um, I I think Angelico had Matt locked up working over the ankle and you saw Matt struggling to get to the ropes, but every time he did, he would get pulled back in, and it wasn't until Nick fucking just sentoned down onto Angelico that they managed to get out of it. It was really, really fun. I loved it. We then get a promo from MJF where he's like, I don't have my dynamite dozen ring. 
Fuck you. That was the promo. That was it. It was short, but it was simple, and it was to the point. Uh, Then we get a promo from Darby Allen, where he's taking a Rorschach test, and all of the Rorschachs are reminding him of Team Taz. So he's calling out all the different members of Team Taz. It's to set up the fact that Brian Cage is the number one contender to the TNT title. I don't know how that works, because the TNT title and the AEW title both use the same rankings, so wouldn't the number one contender to one title be the number... It it doesn't make sense, but fuck it. And then the final thing we see is a Rorschach of Sting's face paint, and Darby looks at it, and he just smiles. And it was the first moment... Ever since last week when he came out, that I got legitimate chills because of Sting. And that continued into our next segment, which is a promo from Cody. And uh, Shivani's in the ring, and he basically says, hey, what do you think about Sting? And then, before Cody can even say anything, the weird winter is coming thing starts again. And I don't know why Sting comes out with snow. I don't know if he just gets overheated easily and he wants it to cool down. But he came out covered in snow, stares down Arn, and Arn's just like, fuck you guys, I'm out. And Tony says, you know what, here, take the microphone, I'm not needed. And then Sting puts over Tony and basically commands him to give him one good quality. It's Sting! And that popped me. And Sting was really on form in this one. Like, you can tell he hasn't promoted in a while, but... It was phenomenal. And the best part about this segment wasn't Sting. It was Cody. Because Cody... Cody is one of my favorite characters because his entire character is revolved around wanting to avoid becoming what he was in WWE. Terrified of becoming a mid-carder. That's why he has these grandiose entrances. That's why his matches are all overbooked. He's trying his damnedest to make sure he will never be a mid-carder again. And in this one segment... Sting made him feel like that. Like, he just looks at him and he goes, Cody, I I understand why you're upset, but I'm not here for you. I'm here for something that's a little bit more familiar and points up to the rafters and Darby's up there with the TNT title. It was so, so nice. It really tied them together. Like, it's one of those things that Darby had done constantly, you know, hang out in the rafters, hang out in the cheap seats. And I'd never drawn the comparison, but yeah, it really is. He is like their Sting. He is like their Sting from the 90s. It's really, really nice. And uh, finally, Sting says he's going to be here often. He's going to be here with the fans, uh, basically saying, I'm not going to be a a fucking part-timer. I will be here every single week. Then he hugs Cody and just says, see you around, kid. And I just screamed. I was like, oh, fuck. Because I love playing, I love taking Cody's ego down a notch. It was really phenomenal. Uh, I hope this spurns a bit of a heel turn from Cody so we can get something interesting out of it. But yeah, I'm excited to see where this is going. And unlike last week where I thought Sting was a little bit weird and added in at an inappropriate time, this week, perfect. Uh, I think we've said it multiple times before. The AEW theory. If you don't like what AEW does one week... Give it two weeks. They will fix it in that time. And they definitely fixed Sting here. It was really good. Uh, Then we get a promo from Team Taz. Uh, Taz's son, Hook, has now joined them. They are now training Hook. They look like a legit legit fucking unit. And they look like they're ready to beat ass. 
and that was it. That was the promo. It was basically them saying, hey, we're going to fight people, and that's what we do because we're Team Taz. Up next, we get Varsity Blondes taking on FTR, and this was a basic FTR match. Whatever you, When you think of an FTR match... It's this. This is the match that you're thinking of. This is exactly it. Um, it was... I, I, I liked that they gave the Varsity Blondes a bit of offense. Fucking Pillman can go. Pillman looked phenomenal. Garrison looked phenomenal. But... And I'll be honest, I, I am sorry about this. I did look down to text someone something, and when I looked up, the match was over. So, yeah. Okay, uh, post-match, FTR gets confronted by Jurassic Express, because obviously they can't go immediately back into a new feud with the Bucks. So, we're getting FTR versus Jurassic Express, which, okay... I would have preferred to see... Well, I guess they've done FTR versus Best Friends. Jurassic Express is like the one team they haven't confronted yet. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Uh, we then get a promo between Marvez and Hangman Adam Page. And we get announced that next week, Page and two partners of his choosing are going to be taking on the Hardy Party. Private Party and Matt. And fucking... God... This... I, I, I just need to enjoy this moment because it was the last good moment of AEW... When fucking Silver and Reynolds pop up behind Hangman in cowboy hats. Heard you need a partner. Let's go, partner. And then Hangman's like, no, I'll find someone else. And they look at him and very manipulatively go, who else is it going to be? And that forces Hangman to look inside himself and look into his depression and say, they're right. Who else could it be? Okay, fine, but I'm not joining the Dark Order. It was very well done. I loved this segment. And then then it all went downhill. <laughs> then the whole thing went downhill because we got 10 of the Dark Order versus Dustin Rhodes. And I liked this initially because it was Dustin getting his ass kicked by 10, who I have not seen a lot of. I know he's uh, prevalent on Dark, but I've not seen a lot of 10 because I only watch Dynamite. And holy shit, he is a scary motherfucker. He destroyed Dustin, wrecked him all around the ring. Um, then Aaron Solo shop showed up for some reason and just got pumped kick for his troubles. And then Dustin, fuck. Dustin hits a running bulldog and wins. He wins off a running bulldog. I was so mad. It's not even like, because he had a basic comeback, but he did not earn this. He did not earn this victory. It came out of nowhere. It was very sudden, and it ruined the whole match for me. Um, the ending of a match is very important in my eyes, because it contained an entire match, as it did here, because I really enjoyed Ten's offense. But the fact that he then lost to a running fucking bulldog, yeah, no, that, that was too much. Uh, Post-match, Evil Uno comes out, and... Even though they are already doing a storyline involving Hangman Page joining the Dark Order, they invite Dustin to join the Dark Order, and then Dustin slaps Evil Uno, and then Evil Uno, before the Dark Order can attack, calls them off, and... Okay, uh, I, I realize AEW's kind of becoming the Spider-Man 3 of wrestling promotions, because there's just 
so much shit going on that can be condensed, and it's not being condensed. It's like, uh, like the main event's really bad, because you've got... Okay, well, OC is involved in the storyline with Miro and Kip Sabian, but also the inner circle have some inner tension going on, and then also this, and all. there's just so much, uh, so much going on that it's hard to hard to process it. And then in this case, it's two storylines with almost the exact same angle. It's like Jericho was talking about with the whole Will uh, Will Hobbs joining Team Taz thing. He's like, we're already doing a Will MJF join the inner circle thing like it's weird to have those two very similar storylines going on at the same time and that's what AEW is kind of falling prey to right now is a whole lot of sameness in a lot of the storylines and then fucking Shaq showed up and y'all this promo I don't I don't know I don't know what this was supposed to be because it's all about basically now I think they've realized Shaq versus Cody will not draw like they thought it would. So now they're doing Brandy versus Jade, which would be a very good storyline. Jade's broken her arm. So it's a fun little storyline. And Shaq just doesn't seem like he wants to be there. Shaq's like, man, I don't know. I was I was having fun with Cody on Twitter and now everyone's thinking that we're going to fight. But I don't know. Fuck it. Okay. That's fine, I guess. Like, Shaq doesn't want to fight. He puts over Jade. Um, He apologizes to Brandy for things getting out of hand. And then right before Brandy leaves, he offhandedly says, Hey, and this is a joke. He is framing it as a joke. With your broken arm, you may want to go to Jade for tips. Which is a fun little goof. But then Brandy throws coke in his face. Just throws a soda in his face. And then Shaq... Like it's a cartoon from the 1930s, just looks into the camera like, what? What did I do wrong? It just, it was nothing. It was fucking nothing. How are you going to make Shaq a heel or Cody a heel? Like, just keep, keep it focused on J. How, I I know I'm a big proponent for like every storyline needs to be tied up, but like, just forget Shaq was involved. Just have it be Jade versus Brandy. Just do that. You don't need Shaq for this. So then we get the inner circle segment. Will they break up? Won't they break up? And I wish this was more interesting than it was, but it really wasn't. Firstly, Santana wasn't there, according to Jericho, because he was so pissed he couldn't be there. But I'm now like, wait, why is he actually not there? So that happened. Um... MJF calls Ortiz his essay, which was fucking phenomenal, and Sammy Guevara and him get into a back and forth, and then finally Jericho says, like, hey, stop it, and Ortiz, of all people, is the voice of reason. He goes, you can't you can't decide the hand you're dealt, but you have to accept that we are a winning hand. And it was a really good moment, and then even looks at Sammy Guevara and says, you're better than him, and you know it. Which got a, a nice little pop from the crowd, and then he tells Sammy to shake hands with MJF, and Sammy obliges. He says, I will, but if anything happens, just know I'm out. If anything happens between MJF and us again, I'm out. It was a really nice moment. They shake hands, and then just to add a little bit of comedy on top of it, Wardlow and um, and Hager get into an argument because they keep staring at each other. 
And Jericho's like, stop staring! You stop staring! And then at the very end, they're still staring at each other. It was really funny, but yeah, this one, it, it, it did what it was supposed to do. It kept the inner circle moving forward. It refocused them because in the main event, they seemed refocused. Sammy was actually helping out MJF. It was just really weird to happen in the middle of the show when it all came down to just, hey, you cool? Yeah, we can be cool. And that was it. Like, nothing really happened because of it. This was a non-segment. So then we get a promo from FTR, and they just cut a good, basic, old-school promo against the Bucks and against Jurassic Express. And, uh, of course, they're taking responsibility for their loss. Cash takes responsibility for the pin, but then Tully's like, no, I wasn't there. And outside of that, good basic promo. Three out of five. So now we get the family, Kingston, Butcher, and Blade, taking on Lance Archer and the Lucha Bros because Pac's not here anymore. Pac's not even being brought up on commentary, by the way. They're not even talking about Pac, 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 whatever his fucking name is. And this is the second time on the show that a match begins with a sneak attack during entrances. It happened during TH2 and the Bucks, and it happens again here. And then they put Pentagon through a table and eliminate him out of the match, which made me think, oh, good, now there's a reason for four of them. So Pac can come out and replace Penta. Nah, that doesn't happen. That doesn't fucking happen. We just get... Uh, brutality all throughout it. Kingston keeps messing with Archer, inviting him in, and finally Archer comes in. Everybody fucking dies, and then we go to commercial, and uh, big surprise, heels get controlled during the commercial. We come back, Phoenix with the hot tag goes off like a house of flames, beat down everybody, and then Archer gets another hot tag, everybody dies, and then the Butcher and the Blade get the win somehow. Like, literally, like, Phoenix hits a Topecon hero to the outside that looked really fucking rough. Like, he landed on his neck. And then he comes in, Butcher and the Blade immediately catch him, pin him, one, two, three. It was, it was fucking nothing. Like, it was one of those endings where I'm like, wait, Phoenix has the momentum right here. Why did Butcher and the Blade immediately get the victory? It, it was really bizarre for me. I wasn't a big fan. And then post-match, Archer tries to take on the family one-on-three because he's a fucking psychopath. Everybody dies, goes for the blackout on Butcher, I believe, and then Blade saves him at the last minute. And that was the segment. I don't know why Archer's involved with this. I much preferred it being Death Triangle versus the family, but I guess they wanted to tie up the whole Eddie Kingston-Lance Archer thing. Anyways, we go backstage, and Red Velvet's getting beaten down by Nyla, Jade, and Vicky, but then gets saved by Swole and Serena Deep. Okay, it's- I understand it. Red Velvet is Baby Brandy, so it makes sense to assault Baby Brandy in this feud, but- it's like they don't know if this feud is happening or not, because every week it's just like, we'll give them something, but just a little bit. We'll give them a promo with Shaq and then a- a very short beatdown, like literally- If someone happens to go piss at the wrong time, they may not know this storyline exists. It's really rough. Uh, And now we get the return of Abaddon as she takes on Tesha Price, who looked scared as shit this whole match. She, I think she hit Abaddon once, realized she fucked up, and then Abaddon took her out. I can't remember what Abaddon's old finisher was, but 
they fixed it because her new her new finisher is brutal. It is a reverse backpack stunner neckbreaker bullshit. Just wrecks her, goes for the pinfall, one, two, three, but continues to beat down Tesha post-match, leading Sheeta to come out. And Sheeta still looks afraid, but she still keeps moving forward. She still assaults Abaddon with the kendo stick, which, by the way, wailed on that motherfucker. Like, swung for the fences, cracked her in the skull. Abaddon went down. And I like this because a good baby face doesn't need to be dumb, doesn't need to be like, I'm not afraid, I'm going to do anything. Like, you can see that Sheeta's afraid, but she continues to fight despite the fear, which I feel like is a much better baby face quality than just, I ain't afraid of nothing. Uh, then Abaddon Undertaker sits up and Sheeta and Tesha immediately run for the back because they're like, no, I'm good. Uh, we get a promo from the Inner Circle, which is basically them saying, hey, we're going to be at ringside during the main event. That was the promo. And now Kenny Omega's here. And Kenny Omega came in on a fucking helicopter. Okay, he's dressed full Miami Vice. Uh, they head to the ring. They shut down Marvez. And he comes out the heel ramp, confirming Kenny Omega is a heel in case anyone didn't see what happened last week. And... Here's the thing, they put over, you need to tune into Impact, because we're going to say something on Impact, and then on Impact they said, hey, there'll be a surprise on Dynamite. So at least in a story, you see, okay, they're going to do this, then they're going to do something different on Dynamite. That is not the case. They, like, remember the trope of, like, hey, uh, you can copy my homework, but don't make it exactly the same? That's what this was. It was the exact same fucking promo from Impact, which was a weak promo, in my opinion. Kenny did great, but Kenny, when Kenny's a heel, and he he's very good at playing an anime villain. Like, if you look at the cleaner in New Japan, he was phenomenal because he sounded like he was straight out of an anime. He was like, and you'd still believe it. But now he's, like, playing a pulled-back version of that, and it's made it a lot more generic, a lot more samey. And the whole time they're focusing on, like, we've had this plan brewing for years. Ever since Kenny was a ten-year-old boy, I've had this evil plan, but they're not playing into it. They're playing it a little too straight for me. And and no, it doesn't work. And I know part of me kind of wants to go back to my old arguments I've made about MJF, which is, yes, he's intentionally boring because he's the heel. So you want the baby face to come in and be the entertaining one. But when you're the only part of the segment, you have to entertain above all else, even if you're being the bad guy. And Kenny did not do that. Kenny did not entertain at all. Don Callis is uh, a charisma vacuum, for lack of a better term. Like... He belongs on Impact. He looks like a guy who would fit on Impact. It's like a, a phrase I we used to use. I used to work at like this big fancy department store. And employees that didn't really work there, we would say, that's a Walmart person. That's not a name of store I worked person. I said, oh, okay. That's kind of what Don Callis is. He's not an AEW person. He is an Impact person. So, yeah. Segment was rough. Kind of Kind of failed on all levels for me. And then when they were supposed to reveal their surprise... They didn't. They were like, no, it's, it's good. Don't worry about it. So now we get advertisements for next week matches. We're getting Hardy Party versus Dark Order and Hangman. We're getting the Acclaimed versus SCU. Uh, Serena and Swole are taking on Ivelisse and Diamante, which was weird because they set up 
easily earlier that you could have had them face Nyla and um, and Jade and had a, a big announcement like that's Jade's first match, but instead they're facing Evilise and it was it was weird. And then also Angelico versus Cody for reasons I don't fucking know why, but it's happening. So finally, we move on to the main event of the night. Finally, AEW realizes that a match with a prize on the line deserves to be the main event as Orange Cassidy takes on MJF for the Dynamite Ring. And I know, I know in the past I've been very defensive of the way MJF wrestles, of the fact that he does have a slow, methodical style that's general, that's literally custom made to get heat. He works a slow-paced match, which makes the crowd bored which makes them hate mjf more the problem with this match is the fact that orange cassidy wasn't getting anything in the opening meaning we just got stuck with an mjf style match the reason why it works when you're facing someone like moxley is you're waiting for the other shoe to drop you're waiting for moxley to come back and finally give you some excitement it didn't look like that here. Like he, there was no moment I was like, I can't wait for Orange Cassidy to get back and fight him. Because Orange Cassidy's whole thing is he's clever. That's why he's such a great wrestler is that he's clever. He wants to end the match as quickly as possible. And yeah, he wasn't being clever. It was kind of like, I guess whenever Jericho's near the ring, Orange Cassidy can't put on a good match. But uh, Inner Circle beat down Orange Cassidy on the outside while MJF distracts the referee, sends us to commercial when we come back. All the baby faces are at ringside for some reason. Apparently the best friends just turned around and was like, hop the guardrail, let's do this. And I'm like, why don't they do that during every match? Why don't they do that during every Dark Order match? Like, it makes no sense. Uh, MJF tries the Eddie Guerrero technique that he used to defeat Jericho at full gear. He drops the bat and Cassidy doesn't pick it up. And this was... Uh, arguably the most Orange Cassidy thing. Was he just, like, looks at the bat on the ground, puts his hands in his pockets, MJF stands up furious, grabs the bat, and this was cartoony as shit, as he's just like, no, you you gotta catch the bat! And then uh, Cassidy takes a back bump, referee turns around, and realizes MJF has the bat, grabs it out of his hands, throws it out of the ring, and then Orange Cassidy catches him with the beach break, MJF kicks out, then catches him with the orange punch, kicks out and i liked it because uh mjf had been working over the hand the whole time so that made sense uh it made sense for him to be able to kick out of two finishers because with a broken hand he wasn't able to get all the offense he wanted so that was really nice and then he hits him with a third orange punch but wardlow puts the boot on the ropes it was really really nice then Everyone just starts fighting on the outside. We get a big brawl. The referee's distracted, which allows Miro to come in, hit a big clothesline, and give MJF the win. And this was another one of those finishes that I'm not that comfortable with. Because on these big sneak attack moments, in my head, I try to think about what would happen if that wrestler did that move in a normal match. And I can guarantee you that a clothesline for Miro and a match with Miro in it would not have gotten him the victory. So why would it allow MJF to get the victory? Like, I'd understand if he did it and then MJF locked on the salt of the earth and then forced him to tap out because then MJF is at least doing something that we know can finish a match. So that happened. Then the best friends go to beat up Miro and Kip. 
Versace-ass Miro just beats up a shit ton of security, yeets one of them off the stage, and this is when I realized AEW truly has too much going on. Because it's like, okay, MJF's on the outside, and then we still don't know what the inner circle really is going to be doing, but also best friends in this, but also the matches OC versus MJF, but also there are baby faces on the outside. Also, that like, it was so much which is why this show was not all elite it was not mostly elite it was just somewhat elite it was middle of the road like i said it had a phenomenal fucking opening and then Shaq showed up and it just went all downhill from there but do you agree do you disagree let me know on twitter at scotty mo or down below in the comments section and of course remember to support us at patreon.com slash a load of bs where you get tons of exclusive content and access to our discord where we watch wrestling live every single week and you can only get it at patreon.com slash a load of bs but until next time remember to follow us on twitter at fight boys show because when you're a fight boy you're a Fight Boy for Life!